Nation Reaching Nations is focused on highlighting innovative stories from cross-cultural, local, and global missions, missions from the majority world, and culturally contextual teaching. The missionaries' stories and idea of this podcast are based on connecting through Houston and serve as an example of how the gospel is spreading from everywhere to everywhere. Our hope is that the stories that you hear on this podcast will help equip you to reach those around you. Hey everyone, welcome back to Nations Reaching Nations. You are joining us for the second part of my discussion with Blandon on uh, race relations, race in the gospel, race in the church. Um, and so we've got a lot more that we need to talk about. I know probably each of those issues we brought up, uh, we could have talked about for considerably more time than we did. Yeah. Uh, we ran out of time really fast and, uh, you know, I just wanted to go farther. So, uh, Brandon, welcome uh, back to the show. Oh, thank you for having me back, Brian. I appreciate it. Dr. Abear. Dr. Abear. Uh, so, you know, we, we hit a lot of issues really, really quickly. And I think these are a lot of the hot button issues. Yeah. Right. And, and I'm, I'm sure there are some that we didn't talk about. I'm sure people would have wished that we talked about some more than we did or less than we did. Who knows? Um, but I think there's a couple we could we could probably bring back up. And I think one is the question of racism. Yes. OK. So you said something that I wasn't aware of. Uh, you mentioned that there's a change in or, or a, an attempt to make a change in definition. Right. So can you just kind of review that for us? What is the original definition of racism and then what is the change that's that's being proposed? Yeah. So once again, the classical definition of racism is steeped in adding or taking away value based on someone's racial identity, skin color, Um so the consideration of race in general in your viewpoint, perception, judgment of said person, which anyone can be racist, right? Um, if, if I'm considering someone um, just based on their um, racial identity, I can be racist as a black person. Um, but going toward this new definition, it's this mix of prejudice and power. So... I I would have to have some kind of power or influence um, toward my prejudice of these people. So then that would exclude certain people groups out of being called a racist and highlight other people groups as the, you know, only offender or main offenders for being racist. And I think ultimately this has been the cultural definition, but it hasn't always been um, a global definition of racism. Like, I, I know a large number of uh, black people who I talk to, they take on this this push of prejudice and power. That's what they've always thought when they've framed racism, but it, it never matched up with the classical term. So now there's this big push for them to change it in the dictionary. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when there's that question of, of power added to it. Yeah. I think a lot of people try to exclude themselves. Mm. Now, now you're saying that you know the agenda behind this is black people can't be racist, but I think even for other people, 
they would say, I mean, I hear people say this all the time. You know, what do you mean white privilege? Like, I grew up poor. Yeah. I mean, I grew yeah. this is me talking. I grew up one of seven kids. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I, I don't, I mean, on a global scale, like I said last time, sure. You know, I, I'm not the victim of colonialism and other things that are a true advantage. Mm. Um, but when people look in like the here and now, me and my family as an individual, uh, that's where they start coming up with these ideas of like, well, I've never done this or I've never done that. And and I think when you look at the power question, everything changes. Yeah. And even with that, initial, my first my first brush is I say, well, I don't have any power. <laughs> so I'm 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 cleared. But I think the reality is that in today's world, if you live in America, you've got a certain amount of power. You do. You it's do. And co- there's a certain amount of privilege that we have oh, as yeah. a, just as Americans. Flat across the board. Right. But some people would say just by sheer birthright, you, Brian, have a privilege that other people don't. And and once again, that is that's Marxist thinking. Like you are born into this oppressive group, this proletariat group that you have no control over. And that's what that's what this is. It's, a, it's these external factors that put us in these camps, regardless if we want to be in them or not. Yeah. I heard somebody once say, and he's talking about globalization. So globalization is this idea that now people are no longer in the place where they all belong. We've all just kind of moved around the world. And so you can go mm-hmm, to, mm-hmm. you can be in the most furthest reach in the world and you can see a McDonald's. Yeah. Um, you know, I remember this when I lived in the Middle East. I saw pretty much every single American chain yes. restaurant. And I, yes. like driving down the street for the first time, I thought, where am I? Yes. This is so, you know, like I, I see the kind of what you would expect to see in a Middle Eastern city. And then there's McDonald's and there's Kentucky Fried Chicken. And here's just you go down the list. Yeah, Carl's Jr. When yeah. I was in Doha, I was like, why is there a Carl's Jr. here? <laughs> who eats at Carl's Jr.? I'm sorry for the people who eat at Carl's Jr. <laughs> I, you know, the funny thing was I saw Americans get more excited there about certain chains that they would never darken yeah. the door of here just because it was there. And so with globalization, products have moved around the world. Yeah. Now, we're probably all aware, uh, you know, in certain countries there are sweatshops or people are exploiting laborers for us to have cheap products. And so I heard somebody say in response to this that the oppressed and the oppressor often live next door. Mm. And it was kind of a self-reflective statement where he was talking about, you know, like, look at the tag on the shirt you're wearing. It's from Thailand or from Sri Lanka or from anywhere. You don't know. Like, there's probably some, I mean, there could be some kid in some factory somewhere saying, God, why do people oppress me? And without even knowing it, I'm just buying a shirt here at yeah, Walmart. Yeah. I'm not thinking about you know, oppressing some kid. In the f- I'm not oppressing the kid in the factory, right? Well, first of all, you have no privilege if you're buying your shirts at Walmart. So there we go. <laughs> that, that's that's our fr- Well, we won't go there. Anyway. Or you have the standard American privilege, which is you buy your shirts at Walmart. Oh, my gosh. I I actually just found a shirt in my closet. You're going you're gonna to love this, no, Brandon. So Brandon's I'm... always trying to give me <laughs> fashion upgrades. I absolutely, absolutely am, yeah. yeah. Uh, I found a shirt that predates my marriage. That is actually still in wearable condition. I wore it the other day. Why? Why do you still have this shirt? How How many years have you and Christy been married? Uh, coming up on seventeen. Predates your marriage. Predates our marriage. Is it? I was nineteen when I had the shirt. Why do you still have this shirt in your closet? Look, we're off topic. Now. <laughs> <laughs> It's a work shirt. I'm not going to wear it to preach in, but it's, it's a work shirt. Okay. Anyway, okay. So so let's let's look at this. Like one, when we think of power, we always think of well, I am the standard of suffering, right? Yeah. 
yeah. whoever the eye is. Yes. And and so like when when a white person hears the African American community talk about their suffering, immediately they go, "Well, I, right? We individualize it. I've never whatever." Mm-hmm. And when the African-American community hears that other definition, they're thinking, well, hey, we're not in power, so we can't be guilty of this. Right. But the reality is both of us are buying our shirts wherever. We are. And there might be, you know, th- there might be oppression happening, which means if you're here in the States with a dollar in your hand, your potential to oppress the rest of the world is significantly greater than pretty much anybody else. Yes, yes. And you have a substantial amount of privilege. And I... Privilege, entitlement, which allows you to even force the hand of those people to change a definition. And so I'm like, that's an immense amount of power. That's an immense amount of privilege to say I'm now that things that are have been definitive. I'm going to now change that. I want to because it no longer fits uh, my experience. It no longer fits the archetype. It no longer fits the conversation or cultural relevance. So. Mm-hmm. Now, instead of like having a separate word and kind of like what we've seen in like an urban dictionary or something like that, now into the American lexicon, we need to change it because it no longer fits. Yeah. So I think question, uh, discussions on race are so heated. One, because of our, our country's history. And then two, everything right now is so politicized. Yeah. And I mean now in general, but I also mean now in particular with this being an election year, uh, you know, all the recent recent events. And so I want to introduce a different word, and this is kind of the anthropologist Brian speaking, and that word is ethnocentrism. Yes. And I think when we can categorize something as black and white, then we can get into issues of, well, I didn't do anything, or I'm not in power, or all of those kind of things. But when we look at ethnocentrism, this is something that goes much deeper for all of us because it gets to the way that we think mm-hmm. and how we feel and what we do because of how we think and feel. And so I'll give you a quick definition of ethnocentrism. So if we, you know, we hear those two words, one is eth- ethnos or ethnic, um, you know, that's the idea of a particular cultural identity and then centrism, being central to that. Now, when we talk about this cross-culturally and we say, well, you're being ethnocentric, it's simply the way my way... It's simply the way of saying, my way is better than your way. Yeah. My way is right. Your way is wrong. Now, I don't just mean that my way is the preferred method. Our way is always the preferred method. <laughs> but what I'm saying is bec- I'm making an, a moral assumption. If I am doing it, that's and, – and honestly, this fits in with the, que- the conversation about colonialism we had the other day. Yeah. As the colonial missionaries went out, their assumption was that because their cultures were Christian – for those who can't see me, I'm using air quotes, because the European culture was Christian, right? They had God, and then they had the king who, you know, receives his power straight from God, and he's the head of the church in their country, and it's his job to enforce God's will on the earth. Therefore, European culture is Christian. Then they go to Africa, they go to Asia, they go to Latin America, and what they see is not European and thus not Christian. Yeah. So there's a moral, like literally a theological and a moral judgment being made of my way is literally the morally right, God-approved way, and thus, therefore, your way is not. Right. So th- this frees us, hopefully this frees us from some of just the, well, you're saying that because you're white, or you're saying that because you're black, or you're saying that because you support BLM, or you don't, or you vote for Trump, <laughs> like all these, all the polarization. Like now let's talk about the real issues, which is why don't we like each other? Right, right, <laughs> right, right. And we don't like each other because we don't know each other. We don't take time out to right. know each other and know and even respect or appreciate 
And I think it's more of an appreciation because it's like I appreciate different things that may not necessarily fit into my cultural background. Mm -hmm. And I don't think a lot of people would appreciate those things because they're taught that the way I do this is better or the way we have this shared experience is much better. It's more, you know, it's more lively or it's more appropriate and Mm -hmm. posh or, you know, whatever adjective they want to use that, that is saying that this other is beneath them in some way. Yeah. And so I think there's a lot of people who legitimately could say, well, I never owned a slave, or I'm not right. in a position of power, or I don't hate these people. I have lots of friends from this group or that group. You can love somebody and still think your way is better. Yeah. And your way is morally right and their way is morally wrong. Yeah. Right? And so this is where we get to, and when that di- when that difference is based on cultural norms, which aren't actually having real cultural value, right, to drive on the right-hand side of the road versus the left-hand side. Right. One right. is not moral and the other immoral. But if we approach it with, well, the American way is the right way is why we drive on the right hand side right and you know the brits and the commies they drive on the left you know we've attached moral value to something which is really relative yeah and thus if we get outside of the whole question of well i never did this or i'm not oppressed or i'm not you know to all right i do love my friends but i also think i'm better yeah yeah my way is better right like now we get to the heart of where it you know, we might not all be racist, but we probably are all ethnocentric to some degree or another. Yes, yes. You know, and even for guys like you and I who love diversity and love difference and love new experiences and trying new stuff and going places and seeing things, every now and then I still bump up to something and that initial attitude of like, oh, these people just don't know. Right, (laughs) right, right, right. (laughs) You see, it takes 50 of them behind the counter to do this job. You could do that job with two people, right? I think that all the time because – my basic moral value is the American value of efficiency. Yes, yes. <laughs> and, I, and I think we, we have that just in in just the United States, like a regional group. Like we were, you know, before we turned on record, we were talking about, you know, like, you know, North versus South kind of situation, right. but not in the way people would think. You know, we, we're saying like how the South is different across the board. And so yeah, within if, it, within itself. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so... How just even Texas, for example, you know, you're kind of inundated with all of these. If you've lived in Texas, if you were educated in Texas, there is a Texas pride that you have above all. You think Texas is the greatest state above all. And so when you travel to other places that don't have even lesser states, let's just say it. Yeah, lesser. (laughs) I wasn't going to say it. But yes, lesser (laughs) states. Um, When you go to them and you have like cuisine. So first of all, I love Tex-Mex, right? And so I don't even know why I did this. I was um, I was in Denver, and I was looking on Yelp. <laughs> I already know where yeah. this is going. I've done it too. Right. And they were raving about this Tex-Mex cuisine. They Mm-mm. had all, you know, nope. it was five stars and this, nope. that, and the other. And I didn't tell my wife before I was going because she would have talked me out of it. So I decided I was going to go to this restaurant, and I sat down. They put the plate in front of me, and I was like, this looks disgusting. And I then I began to eat, and I was like... This is not Tex-Mex at all. Right. What are they doing? I thought somebody was like a Texas transit plant trying to make nope. a niche for himself here nope. in Denver. And it was <laughs> disgusting. But that's part That's part of my my culture is better. This is better. Yeah. You know? It, they, might, they could have had like more quality cheeses or meats or whatever. But for me, 
just going over here to Casa Ole. I don't care what you guys say. I love Casa Ole. All right. I love their cheese. So now we got a bigger disagreement it. for right, right, different, right. different reasons. Yeah. <laughs> but I love it. Okay. It's Tex-Mex. I, I'm not. So, yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah. So these differences come out. Yeah. And here's the funny thing. You know, we we look at passages like Philippians. Yeah. And in Philippians, he talks about putting others' needs yes. ahead of your own. Yes, yes. And I think we do this weird kind of democratic way because we value equality. And I say, well, I look at you and I go, man, I haven't been valuing your needs. That's a sin on my part. So let me rectify that. I'm going to consider your needs equal with my own because we live in a democracy. You're welcome. <laughs> and that's not what the Bible says. No. It says I need to put your needs ahead. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I need to literally put More my important. needs under. Yeah, yeah. That's not American. No. No, it's not. Right? And, you know, getting back to, you know, like, tying this to ethnocentrism, you know, this is where I think we try to avoid that racist label, whichever side of it we're on. We have our own ways of doing it. But I see next door, right? We probably have all used this app, and it's mostly just neighbors complaining about, you know, barking dogs <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. But you can see ethnocentrism happening there. And if, if you're not aware, just download the app, sign into your neighborhood, and you'll see it. Somebody has a late night party. Mm. The music's too loud. And I don't think these people hate the group that's doing that. Right. But I think they value nighttime should be quiet time. And for other cultures, nighttime, man, that's party time. We right. just we just got off work. work right. Everybody's right. home. The meat's been smoking all day long. It's ready to <laughs> it's ready to go. Right. Um and let's crank it up. Let's go. <laughs> and there's other people who go, No, it's eight thirty, it's my bedtime. Right. Um Right. And so I think that's where you can kind of see they probably don't hate those other groups, but it they definitely think my way of quiet time after 9 p.m. or 10 p.m. or whatever that time is, is the better way. Oh, and the more civilized way. And the more civilized way. It's it's more appropriate for... And they're heathen for that late night. Right, night. they are. And it's not the weekend? Are you telling me you're doing this on a Tuesday? Like, <laughs> this is a problem. This is, un- this is uncivilized behavior, and that's that's more of what we get into when we see that, when we see other people going to different places. And that's on both sides. That's right. on both sides. Um, when, you know, European settlers were coming in contact with, you know, the native peoples, they were considered, you know, heathen. Yeah, heathen. yeah they were considered savage. Right. They were like, who are you with this pale skin? And all like it, and it goes both ways. So just having a one-sided uh, argument toward it uh, does the other person disservice to say that they couldn't even think that I was uncivilized. Right. I was not, you know, uh, up to par, so to speak. So, yeah. yeah. It's, it's interesting. When people go to another culture, uh, you know, they're walking through the touristy part and there's some loud party going on. They're like, oh, isn't this place amazing? They celebrate life, blah, blah, blah. But when it's my neighbor, I'm really angry about <laughs> it because this is my home and this yeah. is, should be my way. And the issue is, if you're living in Houston, no one can say this is my home. Yeah, because we yeah. are so diverse. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, as a city, we're at least forty percent Latino now. Um, there's no real one majority. If it ever is going to be another majority, it's going to be Latinos. Yes. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. You're talking about the differences between Southern cultures. And coming from Texas, I went to school in North Carolina. I didn't realize how much, not true Spanish. Okay. Uh, <laughs> But just Spanish catch phrases that work into Texas lingo, like manana. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or luego, or adios, or just these, these little things that we put in, and all the guys would look at me really, really strange. 
And then I realized, like, oh, they haven't grown. You know, they would talk about, like, all all the Mexicans that were coming up, and they might have seen, like, one that day. Yeah. And I'm thinking, man, half the people I know are, you know, from South America. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> So let's let's look at let's look at some scripture. You know, we've got um, I, I brought up Philippians. Paul has got a lot to say about uh, race and the gospel. Um, and there's one. And so I guess part of the what? question: the we, Bible talks about race and the gospel <laughs> together. Bro? Right? What are you talking about right. That's kind of dangerous. Is we want to talk about race or the gospel because people are looking for so many other outside answers. They're looking. They're looking yes. for so many other. Anthropological studies, sociology, hey, be psychology. Care, be oh, I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm just saying. Why we're going actually going to the Bible, right? To see, and it answers these questions. Oh so. my goodness! Well, you know, I'm excited. It, <laughs> he, he is. He, he looks. He's on the edge of his seat. So, so there's a passage in Galatians. If you're listening, I'll I'll just read it. This is Galatians chapter two, starts in verse eleven. Uh, he says, "But when uh, Cephas or Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned." For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, mm. I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how do you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Mm. Okay, so this goes back to a huge question in the early church. Yeah. Uh, today's world, we're asking, can a Jew be a Christian? Hmm. But in that world, they were asking, can, can a Gentile? Gentile? Yeah, yeah. Right? So think back through you know, the progression of the gospel. It starts with the disciples. Who are the disciples? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're Jews. Yeah, yeah. Okay? And so now it's going from the Jewish world outward. And we see, it hap- we, we see the gospel reach Antioch, and it takes on an international flair there. Mm-hmm. And in Antioch, they had a problem. It was based on language, but they had a problem between two races, where yeah. the Greek-speaking widows, because they didn't speak the local language, yes, uh, weren't being served. Mm. And the point of the gospel is that the church should serve all of the people because they're all made in God's image and all have worth and value. But what was the resolution, Brian? Yeah, tell us what tell us what the resolution, <laughs> what they resolved to do. We need to preach a sermon together, yeah, because <laughs> because like we could do this in the pulpit where we just kind of go back and forth. Um, yeah, the the resolution is uh, hire some Greek speaking oh some Greek speaking guys who will take care of them. But did they did they stop what they were doing to serve these widows? No, mm, they didn't. They did not. Not in they fact. Did not. Oh, okay. The 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 reason for the appointment was so that they did not have to stop uh, the preaching of the word and the teaching and prayer. So, uh, but under today's society, they would have been called heretics because social justice is at the heart of the gospel so they should have stopped what they were doing or they'd just be canceled they would be canceled (laughs) they would have been totally canceled for that so in this passage we see they're wrestling back and forth one yeah like like on one side of the you know let's draw some sides of a box right on one side of the box is this idea that christ died for all yeah uh, the gospel is not just for the Jews. And this mm-hmm. was sorted out in the Jerusalem Council, Acts 15, if you want to go back and look at that. But another side of that um, is it is okay for us to embrace other cultures. Yeah. And so we see where Paul, where, where Peter is being approved of. He goes and he enjoys uh, his time with the Jewish brothers, He's uh, with the Gentile brothers, mm-hmm. sorry. Mm-hmm. And he seems to be integrating into their culture. Yeah. 
and then this little switch happens where his homeboys come over, his his Jewish brothers <laughs> yeah, come yeah, over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now he realizes, oh, <laughs> you know, I got a beer in my hand and the Baptist just showed up. <laughs> How do I handle this? Oh, right? That gets, yes. that gets people in trouble all the time. Yeah. And so, um, you know, here he is with this problem and he pulls back into his Judaism and he pretends like mm. he disapproves of Gentile culture. Mm. Now, I don't, I, I think Paul would say, hey, it's fine for you to approve of Gentile culture. And I think Paul is aware of the group that doesn't approve of Gentile culture, and at least they're honest, right? So right. the Judaizers, they're the ones who are yes. like, Jewish culture is the culture. Right. You want right. to follow Christ? Fine, but you better get circumcised. <laughs> right. And that's kind of a problem here because Peter has obviously laid the burden of Judaism on the Gentiles when mm-hmm. he is himself being more Gentile. Yes, yes, yes. So there's a there's a... I mean, what's the, what, do you, what do you see as the solution here in this passage, Blendon? How does Paul handle it? See, but once again, Paul handles it great because he's calling him out. Right. He holds he holds him accountable to what he's doing. He doesn't he doesn't look a blind eye and say, oh, "Okay, well, you know, hey, he's just trying to get in where he fits in." He's calling it out for what it is. It's partiality, preferential treatment. You now look down on these people. When you're when a dominating group, when the dominating voice comes around or you what you what you perceive as a dominating voice, you know, so I I think it's I think it's right. I think he Paul called a lot of people out and he was right to, you know, oppose them to his face, you know, in front of others. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So, I, you know, one of the amazing things about Christianity that you don't actually see in other religions, uh, I know that. Christians have been accused of being colonizers, and yeah. there's a historic example of that, but that's actually an anomaly. Yeah. Um, because of the incarnation, we have God, who is nothing like us, yeah. making himself like us. Yes. And so it, there's, there's no greater cultural divide, cultural oh, gap, cultural goodness. difference that could be crossed. Are you preaching right now, bro? <laughs> is that what you're doing? That's what I'm doing. <laughs> then, then that one. Yeah. And yeah. so inherent is the gospel. Is this ability for me to embrace your culture? Yeah. And for you to embrace my culture? And not in a fake way, right? Yeah. We've seen a lot of fake ways. Yes, yes. Virtue signaling is a is a huge fake way to embrace Okay, I hear culture. virtue signaling. What is virtue signaling? So virtue signaling is basically the postmodern way of being on the right side of history, right? So when there's some kind of cultural movement that's happening and, you know, people are swirling around. There's this fake humility. There's this fake indignation. There is a... So virtue signaling is what you see in your email that's going on, where all these companies now are sending you a bunch of emails saying, uh, we support Black Lives Matter in a statement, and um, or Amazon has black stories on their prime. Netflix says black stories on their prime. So they're not... They may not really like give to the cause or anything like that, but they want to be seen as they're on the right side of history right mm. now. Um, so virtue signaling is that is to, is to be outward, outward about, Oh my giving to the less fortunate and the disadvantaged and the marginalized. I want people to see me or hear me say that I am in favor of this. Um, and I, I you just see this a lot. You see this a lot in society today that people want to be seen 
on quote unquote the right side of history where um if they're not if they're caught unaware if they don't speak out quick enough then as Brian said they'll be canceled so you virtue signal so you can't so you can't be canceled okay so virtue signaling is kind of what I I haven't had a word to put that I like that label but I always have this really strong reaction behind people who feel very strongly about something, and they post a lot about it on social media for about two weeks. Yeah, and then it just—it was never a part of their ethos before. No, absolutely, and it was never a part after. No, it no. was just this blip, and then it's gone. Yeah, like kids at the border in cages. Like people posted about that for like two weeks. Oh yeah, and then <laughs> yeah, I, haven't, I, I say oh yeah because I haven't heard anything about that. In a while. You're not going to. You're not going to because it's not. It's it's not the hot button right now. It's not what people are talking about. So they they are just crying and they are just you know oh my gosh what happened to these children is terrible yeah but if i am also committing a crime if i'm also in some kind of illegal enterprise and i get stopped by the cops my kids are going to be separated from me now i don't know i don't know by what means they're going to be separated i'm not saying i'm not saying that they're going to be put in a cage or detained but i mean i don't know because at this point i've broken the law and i have my i have my child in tow right um, but that that argument you can't even make that argument because people are like, oh my god no they're they're sick and they don't well who is the next of kin that I can refer them to right I don't want to get too deep into it but once again you see people on social media and for two weeks this is hot you know sign petitions you know we do this you know change your change your avatar to this color in favor of this you know blue for sympathy and all this other stuff and then after two weeks it goes away and then there's some salacious scandal that goes on some gossip that happens and then they're tweeting and talking about that virtue signaling Mm. you know i i see so so here's the difference like you virtue signaling which is this in a world of no right and wrong we still want to be on the right side of the right side of history yeah um, so we like it's right and wrong is our inbred categories into yeah. it. So we just they're innate. Uh, we can't get away from them apparently. Yeah. Um, but the flip side is the the gospel is not this convenient thing mm. that we can embrace and throw off. It is inherent in the gospel. It is inherent in the incarnation that the word becomes flesh and dwells among us. And there's there's no this is not something that the church now should be saying because it's trendy. I was talking with someone a while back, and they go, well, if you're not doing multi-ethnic stuff, you're really behind the curve. And I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> Being multi-ethnic as a church has nothing to do with the curve. Right, right, It right. has to do with the gospel. Yeah, yeah. And and, and we can't ever separate ourselves from that. Um, in Ephesians, the, the book is all about spiritual power, mm-hmm, right? So he's writing mm-hmm. in the city of Ephesus. Ephesus at that time is the center of magic in the yeah, world. Yeah, yeah. Um, they have a temple to Artemis. Mm-hmm. She's called the Queen of Heaven. She protects, she sustains. The, the people who would fight in the Colosseum there in, in, in Ephesus would wear these magical names. Mm. Uh, nobody really knows what they mean, but they were like the name for some deity or something. They, mm-hmm. they, they give power. They were an amulet. Yeah. And so it, it's here where Paul talks about there's no other name under heaven that can be named. Wow. Um, so he's he's speaking directly to this, and so uh, you know, in our context here in Southwest Houston, we've got uh, Santeria, and we have yeah, yeah. you know all of these different uh, animistic beliefs yeah. and cultures, and the Bible is so relevant. So all of these cultures are looking to how do I get God to do my thing? Right, right. So how kind do of, I get him on board? Right. So kind of current. Um, 
people are on this new crystal wave, right? So I don't know if you've seen this, Brian. I've not. Tell me about it. So yeah, there's this, <clears throat> there's this, these different crystals that you know for health and vitality. Uh, and then there was also something that people are doing, like there's a moon crystal, and so you put it in a glass of water for a full on the full moon, right? And then you allow the crystal to absorb the, you know, the moon's energy, right? Moon energy. And, Right, moon energy. And then the next morning you drink it with all the little I'm things. I'm curious, Blandon, <laughs> how do you know so much about this? <laughs> <laughs> I've never tried this. But once again, does, this does is... Does it work? I mean, I'm not judging. I'm just no, asking, does I, it work? I, I, have no, <laughs> I have no idea if it works or not. But once again, this is what we're on. Like, there's nothing new under the sun. So these amulets, right. as you say, right. like people are going back to wearing these crystals. It's, I, don't, I don't know what kind of quartz, I think. And then like wrapping it with copper or bronze and you know once again just kind of wearing amulets and i'm just so confused on why we're going back to this and christians are adopting this that's what's troubling to me oh, yeah. I'm, I'm like vision, can... vision boards yeah uh, all kind of stuff <laughs> people somebody asked me what sign i was they're trying to figure me out oh my gosh yeah um I, it was a christian like i've, I've yeah, of got, course i've of gotten course. that question from <laughs> before but uh was were they hitting on? I don't, I don't understand. A hippie, hippie, not hitting on me. Oh, okay. I was like, <laughs> why are they asking you your sign? You know, that's a you know leading no, dating question. No, I think I had done something, something, and and they thought it was typical of something. Uh, uh, I don't, I don't okay. know. I don't know. Anyway, okay. so so people want any spiritual power, whatever their religion yeah. is. They expect spiritual power should do things for me. Yeah. Give me money. Yeah. Uh, yeah. F- help me find love. Help yeah. me keep love. Uh, help me get rid of a love that I'm done with. Yeah. You know, that, like there's all these things that they want spiritual power to do. And Paul talks about spiritual power. Yes. But his discussion of power is so different. Yeah. Um, Not that God doesn't have power, but the whole purpose of spiritual power is very different. And one of the purposes, one of the signs that we have spiritual power is that God has broken down, through Christ, he's Mm. broken down the dividing wall. Yes. Now, he says between Jew and Gentile. Yeah. But that's presumptive of all, all racial things. Because in Christ, I mean, in sin, we're all dead. Yes. And in Christ, we're all made alive. Absolutely. So I'm, I'm just going to read this. This is here in Ephesians 2. Um, and and he actually, Ephesians 2.12, he actually builds on that idea that um, we are in sin all separated. Yeah. Right? So verse 12, he says, Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of the promise, having no hope without God in this world. So that is the state of every man, woman, and child on the planet. Yes, yes. Black, white, doesn't matter what your color is, yeah. rich, poor. Right. You know, lives in the west, lives in the east, north, yeah. south, doesn't matter. That unites us. Yes, yes. <laughs> Dead in trespasses and yes. sin unites us. Great equalizer. Yeah. We don't want that kind of equalization. Yeah, we don't. Uh. <laughs> we don't. We're all equally bad. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, then comes uh, verse 13. He says, but now in Christ, you who were once far off have been brought near in the blood of Christ. So f- the first reconciliation is man to God. Yes. Uh, and then verse 14, for he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Yes. 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 So I'm going to say it this way. Uh, let, let, let's hammer down on this point for a second. If we are not in the process of being reconciled, right? We're not, we're not perfect. Yeah. Right. But if we're not in the process of being reconciled, we don't have the power of God in our life. Right, right. Now, that begs a question, which I have for you. What is racial reconciliation? It's what you just saw. It's just, it's what you just read. That's what you, that's what, 
we have reconcil racial reconciliation in Christ. He's broken it down because me and you both. I don't once again, I don't like to use the word race, quote unquote, um, in that term. I use it because it's a it's what people understand it to be. So I don't think that me and Brian are different, quote unquote, races. I think we are different skin complexions of the same human right. race. Right. But, you know, for for lack of a better term, I'll, I'll go there. I'll say me and you are brothers. We are truly brothers. It's broken down there because we're in Christ. We're unified. We're together. We're one spirit, one flesh. I mean, one spirit, not one flesh. You and Chrissy are one flesh. <laughs> Whoa, uh, you're all right. Slow down. One blood. I was trying to say one blood. One yeah. blood. There we yeah. go. <laughs> but yes, we're brothers in that. And that, that goes for anyone who responds to the gospel message, mm -hmm. who is elect, who has been pursued after, you know, and then responds with faith and repentance and belief, mm -hmm. right? So I, I think that's where we see it. We do, And it can be walked out there. It doesn't, it doesn't take some kind of ecumenical body to come together from all different religions so we can hold hands and do this. It's already here in Christ. Mm. So I don't have to put a coexist sign on my car to say that I've been reconciled to other people of different races, you know? Yeah. So this is problematic because when people say or, or kind of uh, promote racial reconciliation, I don't think that's a bad thing to promote. I think it's great. Right. I think it's an implication of the gospel. Yes. But I think oftentimes they don't even know what the target is. Yeah. Right. They're, they're anti-racism, which, again, agree. And then they say, well, racial reconciliation, let's go for it. Yeah. And then the only people having this conversation are people who are deeply involved and entrenched in critical race theory. Yeah, yeah. And so my options are embrace racism or embrace critical race theory. Right, right. I think that's how people see it. Yeah. And the, the issue is critical race theory is definitely tainted. It yes. has its roots literally in Germany in World War II. Um, in the racial categorization that the Nazis did. Yeah. Now they're doing something, you know, they're flipping it on its head, but it still has its roots there in understanding race in that way. Um, and it's a trick. It's yeah. a trick because critical racism, race theory is racism. Yes. Yes. I mean, on in a, a weird way. In a weird way, it is. Yeah. It, it's like when someone has a really low self-esteem, they're actually not a humble person. They're a really arrogant person. Right. Because I have low self-esteem because you don't esteem me in the way that I think I should be esteemed. Yes. That's actually reverse pride. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not a psychologist. <laughs> but, right. This is my, yeah. my two cents. Yeah, no. top of it. yeah. Yeah. And then like these words like white guilt and white fragility, these are also kind of racial, I mean, racist terms that we should, because white guilt says, oh yeah, I know I'm better than you <laughs> and I feel bad about it. And that's not, that's not what we should be esteeming either. We shouldn't, we shouldn't be, we shouldn't have people who are like, you know, oh, I, I feel bad for being white. Let me divest myself of my whiteness so I can understand you better, brother. I, I don't, I don't think that's biblical either. No. Actually, I know it's not. So yeah, I had a student one time. Uh, apologized for racism to the class and then apologized for being white to the class and then apologized for being male to the class. Oh, no. Oh, I, no. I thought, you know, if, if you have a racist heart or, or you're trying to do some kind of corporate confession, okay, I, I that I understand. But now, I mean, you, you had no decision-making in where you were born. and what, no. you know, these, are, these are certain unchangeable things in our life. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, you know, you can't apologize for being male. <laughs> right. Right. But this is where this is where things have come. You know, we we did a class here at the church on animism and animistic worldview yes. a while back, and we talked about spiritual warfare, mm-hmm. which is a hot topic, particularly, I, I would say, in the global church, it's a very hot topic because the Western church tends to be more science-driven. The global ch- ter- church is uh, much more focused on the spirit world, right? Yeah. Belief in the Holy Spirit, a practical—we we believe in the Holy Spirit, too, but yes. a practical belief in the Holy yes, Spirit. Yes. Um, and— there's all of these recipes, if you will, for mm. spiritual warfare. And Jerry Rankin, who's the former uh, president of International Mission Board, he wrote a book on spiritual warfare called Spiritual Warfare. Mm-hmm. Super, super creative. <laughs> and in it, he says spiritual warfare, uh, I'm paraphrasing, but spiritual warfare is recognizing and realizing the victory that Christ has already won. Yeah, yeah. Right, so in Christ, he's already conquered Satan. Yes. He's already defeated yes. the grave. He's already put everything under his feet. Yeah. Now we are living in fear still, so there's a difference between how things are and you know the ideal and the real. Right. But I think rac- racial reconciliation is the same thing. Yes. Yes. Like we, Christ has already broken the wall down so that all who are already dead in sin, right, and now are made alive alive in Christ are not alive. I'm not alive as an American white guy from Texas, I'm alive as a a doulos, a, yes. a bond servant of Christ. Yeah, slave. Go ahead and say, yeah, it. a slave. I'm yeah. not. I'm not my own man. Right. Right. I'm not allowed to be my own man. Yeah. I'm not. I mean, now this is the whole. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. You know, when mm-hmm. Paul talking about the thing I don't want to do. That's what I do. Yeah. And, but we are slaves to Christ. Yes. I can't say. Well, my will is. My want is. My opinion right. is. Right. Um. I have to say, all right, Lord, what is your will? Yeah, yeah. Oh, think of myself as less than? Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> what, what else you got? <laughs> right, right, right. <clears throat> and, and, that, so, and that's not what's being had in the conversation right now. The conversation is, what do I want? How much of my will can I exercise over everyone else? And that is the kind of whole BLM mantra, power a transference of power, anything that I don't want or don't like about history, about this country, we'll just burn it all down and we'll tear down statues. And when Christians adopt this, that's when it becomes problematic. That's when it is, you're not being, you're not different from the world at this point. You're Mm -hmm. subscribing to those elementary principles and then you're, you're being captivated by these notions and then you forget about the gospel, mm-hmm. which then speaks. I, and maybe I'm going to be Paul in this moment. I'm going to call it out. Like, who is your allegiance really to? Mm-hmm. Are you are you bowing the knee to these new movements and voices and leaders? Or do you submit and surrender your life to Christ? And I think we're seeing all of that play out in social media, the media, our communities, our neighborhoods, when we see this buy for power. When really, you have the power of Christ to overcome a lot of these things that you still struggle with. Right, right. Um, so, yeah, I just lost my train of thought. God, I hate when this happens. This is why we don't do it live. <laughs> Goodness, I don't remember. 
so that that's that's an, an often uh, spoken misconception about reconciliation. We often think, well, reconciliation is when the powers that be come to grips with what they've done. Right. Uh, somebody wrote a book called Reconciliation. Right. Yeah. Super. Right. Super creative. Right. <laughs> uh, his last name Schreiner or Schreiter? I can't remember. Uh, it's one of the most exposed books. He's Catholic, and he's writing about the atrocities that the Catholic Church was party to mm-hmm. or causative in mm-hmm. or just aware of and complicit in some way in Africa. And, you know, he talks a lot about, hey, we actually need to name what the sin was because we can't, until we name the sin, we can't, we can't move past it. But he also, he said something that really challenged me, and it was this. He said, reconciliation isn't, doesn't take place in the heart of the oppressor. Hmm. So here's what happens, mm-hmm. right? An oppressor does something. At some point, history taps him on the shoulder and says, Psst, hey, South Africa, uh, the rest of the world has, has stopped what you're doing. They stopped this you know, years ago. You right, should right, stop right, now. Right. And they go, oh, okay, we're stopped now. Hey, we're sorry. Let's do reconciliation. Forgive me. Mm. And he says, no, no, no. It's actually when the oppressed, when there is a heart change in the oppressed, that's when we experience reconciliation. Wow, wow. Wow. Because oftentimes the oppressor actually kind of, dem- in, in, he says <clears throat> in the Christian circle, we throw a layer of the gospel and it's like, well, all right, I realized I was wrong and I'm sorry now and God t- God wants you to forgive me. Right. And in particular places in Africa where there's some colonization, it was, and I have the power to tell you to forgive me. Wow. wow. And he goes, no, no, this is not actually gospel reconciliation. It's where the oppressed. Or the person you offended. Right. Yeah, I, I can't go into the details of what I'm about to say, uh, but I've been working with an organization for a while, and I felt steamed rolled by them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I was treated in a very dramatic way, very unfair, uh, unethically. Uh, there was a lot of control. Yeah. There was a lot of hierarchical power. Decisions were made above my head. I mean, I felt trapped. Yeah. And for years, I wanted them to understand and them to apologize and them to come to me, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then I read that book, and mm-hmm. it was like a, a ton of bricks hit me. Yeah. And I thought, first off, they don't get it. They don't, they don't even know who I am. They don't care. Yeah. Um, I'm hanging on to something <laughs> that, you know, I, I would call them on the phone. Even if they would answer the phone, they would say, Brian who? You know? <laughs> oh, no. But the, rea- the reality is what he's saying is true. Yes. I had to go. I mean, at some point, the hurt takes on its own life. Yes. It's no longer about what did they do to me. Now I've just, I've removed myself from that. Right. I've become mean and nasty, and that's having all of these other effects. And that's a me problem. Yeah, yes. And until I say, okay, God is bigger than this. God has forgiven me. How do I forgive them practically, not just right. intellectually? Yes, yes. I thought, man, it's I, I didn't want to hear it. <laughs> of course not. Because it puts the onus on you and off of the person who has offended you. Right. You know? That's the way it should be. <laughs> I'm just, just going to say it. We're all thinking it. That's the way it should be. Like, you hurt me. You come back to me, mm. not, and so for him, reconciliation then is the process that the gospel has is working in us, that is healing us mm-hmm. to the mm-hmm. point where it doesn't matter if you recognize, it doesn't matter if you say sorry or not. I could still be in chains, literally, and I can be reconciled. Yes, yes. I thought, <laughs> if you ever read the book, it's short, maybe seventy pages, more of a booklet. Okay, uh, you can only read just. Uh, he has them broken into sections. It's heavy stuff. I mean, because the the atrocity he's talking about, I mean, mm-hmm. it, it's, you know, it's a hundred years of bad things that have happened yeah. where colonizing powers and or the church were 
part of it. So let's bring this back to reconciliation. Yeah. Then. We're saying that reconciliation has already been won in Christ. Absolutely. And that part of this for us is recognizing that. Yes. Living that out in Walking a realized in way. It. Yes. Yes. And so I, I just want to reiterate this before I ask you the question, how do we do this? <laughs> um, but back in Ephesians, um, he Paul is giving, in chapter 1, he's giving a, a thanksgiving prayer. And he says all kinds of stuff that we don't have time to unpack. Yeah. <laughs> um, but in verse 20, uh, verse 19, he says uh, that his power is towards us who believe. So now we're talking about spiritual power again, mm-hmm. according to the working of his great might. So he's mighty and he gives us power that he worked in Christ. So here's the source of the power. When he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. So we're talking about a completed action, mm-hmm. right? God did this through Christ. And Christ is now the mediator of this power to us. Uh, far above rule and authority, power, dominion, far above every name that is named. There we go back to mm-hmm. those amulets. Not only in this age, but in the age to come, Paul is super confident. It's expansive. And he put all things under his feet um, and gave him as the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who who fills all in all. And so in this passage, he also, uh, before the verses I read, he says that we are seated with him Mm -hmm. in the heavenly places. But the Mm -hmm. way he writes that, it's like a here and now thing. Yeah. And I go, but I don't feel that. Right. Right. So we've already been reconciled. We're already... The source of God's power is through Christ, and he has seated us, like Christ is seated, and now we are seated with him. Yeah. That's yeah. reality. Yes. But I feel oppressed. Mm. I feel powerless. Yeah. I feel attacked. So how do we get from recognizing that Christ has already won the victory? Yeah. He's already brought all who are in Christ together. So that's that's the goal, but here's where we are. My way is right. Your way is wrong. How do we get from here to there? So, <clears throat> I think it's I think it's pretty simple. I don't want to make it like so so simple in simple terms, but I mean for me it just looks simple, right? So even if we talk about people who are offended, oppressed, um, hurt, maligned in some kind of way. I think the example of Christ has shown us how to suffer well and <laughs> to suffer as he suffered um, and then count that as joy. Hmm. And I think we don't want to do that. Um, I was I was listening to something and it was talking about how mothers and fathers have very different roles in a child's life um, and how mothers, you know, just, you know, kind of on type are very good nurturers and they, they nurture children and, and, you know, show love fathers. However, their primary role in their child's life is to teach their children how to suffer well, how to sacrifice well and suffer well. Um, and just when they're at this brink of like, I can't take any more, take some more. Right. And, for me, that was just revolutionary because then I can see how our Heavenly Father has set that up for us. Hmm. How he has set it up to where you think you're going through suffering. You think you've done this. However, however, you can take some more. Not in your own might, but 
but I'm giving you my spirit. I'm giving you the example of my son. I'm giving you my holy scripture for encouragement so that you can continue to suffer well. And uh, John Piper has this book also, Suffering in the Sovereignty of God. And he points out that we really don't trust God if we everyone needs to know how bad we're suffering. He's like, is it not good enough for me to just go to God and tell him my, my and lament to him and to say, oh, my gosh, this is, you know, I'm having a really hard time. Or do I need everybody in the neighborhood to know how bad of a time I'm having? And if you need to know if you need everybody in the neighborhood to know how horrible of a time that you're having, you really don't trust in God. You trust in other people to be a remedy to your situation. And I, I also thought that was uh, very uh, revolutionary as well. So I think the first key is learning as Christians how to suffer well, how to grin and bear. And then the next thing is to just walk in, walk, walk in the reconciliation that, that God has already set forth for us. Like if, if we were just to continue to imagine how how we've offended God and how we continue continue to offend God on a regular basis, constantly, continuously, right? And how you know that exchange is already working, that He has reconciled us back to Himself, mm-hmm. that we have offended Him. You know, He is the offended party in our transgressions and our sins. That we are not, we don't hold the the moral ground in that situation. And so even seeing how that relationship works should humble us in our in our other horizontal relationships that we have each with each other. I know it does with my wife. And so then why wouldn't it translate to someone um, of another cultural background who doesn't understand me, who doesn't know me, who has it, who's probably never had more than a couple of conversations with me. But when they see me, they make this judgment. But you are in relationships with people all the time who know you in and out and have hurt you deeply. And yet and still you can be reconciled back to them. And I think you can also be reconciled back to this stranger who may say some hurtful things. But I think if you demonstrate that, that disarms people and then it allows them to soften. And I think that is what we are called to be. We are called to be a light in dark places. We are called to be the salt of the earth. Um, and we're called to be different in that aspect. So you mentioned something that, that we should suffer well and that the role of a father is to help their children suffer. <laughs> uh, my children would, would, uh, you know, they would resonate with that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that's how I was raised actually. Yeah. Um, but, uh, uh, Robert Schreider is his name. Yeah. Uh, in his book, Reconciliation, he talks about for so long, the church is focused on orthodoxy, right? Mm. And some churches have made the next step of orthopraxy. Yeah. But what we need, you know, right, right uh, practice, mm-hmm. what we need is orthopathema, right? Mm. A right way to suffer. Mm. And, and I mean, he has all these little nuggets and you just have to sit and, <laughs> and kind of, kind of just stew on them for a bit. But this is so true. The American way is I want no suffering at all. Complete comfort, and and I you know I don't want to minimize anyone's plight. Yeah, yeah, I really don't. Um, but I'm also v- very well traveled in the world, yeah. <laughs> and I have seen present day suffering that is horrific. Yeah, 
and continuous. And I've seen Christians who have embraced what you're talking about. Yeah. Have hearts that are not just like a cup frothing and about to spill over with hate Mm. or anger or bitterness. It's God is in control. And he's put me here and he knows. And this other person doesn't know Jesus. That's why they're doing this. Yes. And I think that's such a hard thing for us to to practice is to have that kind of heart. I saw this in the Middle East as well, where the Christians there are uh, persecuted and discriminated mm. against, and I mean in some severe, severe ways. Um, and their attitude was, well, uh, they don't know Jesus. This is yeah. why, you know, we don't need democracy. We need them to know Jesus. Mm. But man. <laughs> <laughs> What an attitude. And that's and that's what I'm and I I think it only affects us if it is on our turf, quote unquote, our our ground. Because I, I heard of a lot of people um in the George Ford situation and they were talking about um the Imagio Day. You know, he was in the image of God and of course we know that's true. We are all made in the image of God. Right. Um However, I did not hear the same outrage when you see these. And and this is I mean, this is not something that is hidden. You can go and find this on the Internet when you see these Christians beheaded for their faith, martyred for their faith, literally martyred. There was not the same outcry. There was not some, oh, we need to go get these guys who did this. The Baharat, you know, we need to go and uh we we need to get these people who did this. Oh, we, we call for justice now. You know, and once again, we're not looking into people's backgrounds or anything like that. We're just seeing, like, Christian, where do you identify? Mm-hmm. Person, where do you identify? Do you do you identify with, with Christ and these people who you have never met who are also your brothers, but they are sacrificed for the faith you say you believe in? Or do you just identify with this man who is uh, the same skin complexion, who may have the same cultural right. things uh, in common with you, you know? And the same can be said across the aisle, yeah. right? Do, do you identify with the opposite man, the counter man, not, yeah. George, the not George Floyd? Yeah. Um, I, you know, I think when, when people hear you talk about, you know, embracing the suffering, they're probably thinking, oh, he's talking to African-Americans. You know, hey, you got, and I, and I don't think that's true. I think that's a flat across the board statement. Yeah, it's a flat right? across the board statement. This is why, as uncomfortable as it is, again, traveling the world, I get to hear what everybody thinks of Americans and what yeah. Americans have done or the church and what the church has done or yeah. the American church has done. Yeah. And my my mentality is, okay, whether I feel complicit or not, this person has a need to tell me this, and I just need, I mean, this is super light suffering, right? This, right. this is called criticism Yeah. Right? Yeah. for all the snowflakes out there. It's called <laughs> criticism, not the same as persecution. Um, but honestly, like some people want to shut the conversation down so that we can have such a polite atmosphere because they don't need discomfort. And again, this is where the oppressor thinks, well, I said, I'm sorry. So you get over it Yeah. and you, the oppressed just stop talking about it. Yeah. And yeah. that's, that's not actually reconciliation, but also it's okay for us to have difficult conversations. And it I is. think we've really lost this as a culture. We've definitely lost that. We've the the definitely... ability to listen and to let you say your piece and whether I agree or not to just let you say it. Yeah, yeah. Or vice versa. Yeah. And there not be a tit-for-tat, talking points, you know, my points talk to your points, and we both go away feeling justified, and, you know, this is nonsense. Right, right. So let's take some practical steps. Okay. Um, 
you know, we're talking these big ideas, right? Realizing that crisis already won this. Um, but let's look at how do we practically get there? Yeah. Right. I'm at, you know, let, let's say I'm at a, a monoethnic church, whatever that ethnicity is, right? I'm in a church yeah. of my people. Yeah. And I see someone else come in and I think, okay. What do I do? I, I think you're right. Like, there's so much virtue signaling happening where people <laughs> want to be on the right side that we get all amped up. Yeah. And I see people, and this is this is why for me it always comes back to what is the gospel? Because people say, oh, I mean, there's people at our church. We should talk about race more. Oh, we should talk about race less. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, there's people all over the map on how we should do it. And to me, I don't want to let the media drive the pace of our conversation. Absolutely. Absolutely. I want it to be the gospel driving our conversation. Right. And so, but we also have to get practical, you know, how do we, you know, we're not there yet. I'm speaking just as a church or just as the church. So what are, you know, somebody's thinking, all right, I'm at church and there's this person who's different from me. What do I do? Yeah. Um, I think one thing is, I think we've talked about this. I think this is kind of like your heart, Brian, for, uh, you know, inviting people into your space. Uh, a friend of mine recommended this book to me. It's called The Gospel Comes with a House Key. And that's a good book. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's this it's this idea that um, no matter wh- who this other person is, um, if they don't know the gospel, evangelism isn't just this thing where you say, okay, come to church, come to church with me, come to church. It's like, no, let me invite you to my house. Let me invite you in my space. And the same thing can be said about brothers and sisters who go to the same church. We we probably just gather together on Sundays and then separate. There is no, hey, come over, have a meal. You know, let's 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 get this thing together. Let me let me learn more about you. Let's have more conversations. Let me check on you. Let me pray for you. Mm-hmm. How is your work going? How is your marriage going? Like really do life with that person and dig in and don't be afraid. Everybody's afraid of the initial awkward conversation that you have with someone when you're trying to get to know them. And I think if we just get over and get past that awkward moment, we would have more rich and fulfilling relationships, brother to brother, sister to sister. Yeah, I think that's right. Well, if you've been listening to either of our episodes on race and the church and you disagree with us, you know, we'd love to hear from you. Definitely. Um, Let's have a conversation. I hope you know that you could disagree with us and we'll have a a good uh, spirited conversation and hopefully centered that around Christ. Blandon, thank you so much again for coming in. Uh, Thank you for inviting me, man. I appreciate it. Again, we could just go all day doing this. Yes. Um, but we're going to close it off there. And so I just want to challenge you uh, to try to think of how would you live with a realized understanding to really embrace the idea that through Christ, all of this has already been won. Absolutely. Um, It reminds me of, you know, we just celebrated Juneteenth in Texas, Mm -hmm. where I think we were the last state, the last pocket to to hear that the war was over. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I think spiritually it's the same thing. Yeah. Christ has already won the war. How are you going to start preaching at the end? What are you doing? What are you doing right now? I'm like Paul where he says finally and goes yeah. from the chapters. All right. Yeah. See you next time, everybody. Bye. Thank you for listening to Nations Reaching Nations. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Nation Reaching Nations.